0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. No matter what profession you're in, setting goals is an important part of finding the best path to get you there. For actors and performers, our goals can be big ones like being on Broadway or come down to specific shows or roles that we want to do. But just because you know your goals... Does that mean you also have a clear picture of your mission as an artist or the purpose of your life? My guest today is Gina Morgano, a fellow singer and podcaster who also teaches voice. And she's brought along three stories that highlight that distinction between what we do as an artist and who we are as an individual. One story deals with an illness and losing her voice, while another talks about her big move to New York yet not getting cast in any shows. Since then, Gina has found her joy in concerts rather than musicals. And in this episode, she helps us understand that self-awareness is key to both reaching our goals and finding our purpose, even as they may change direction.
1: Hi, I am Gina Morgano, and I am currently living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is my hometown, and I am a professional performer, a voice teacher, and a podcast
0: host. Welcome, and thank you so much for joining season six of Why I'll Never Make It, a top 25 theater podcast featuring honest conversations with fellow creatives, and three stories from their own life of artistic challenges and personal hardships. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer myself who knows firsthand the ups and downs we all face. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com where you can sign up for the Win Me newsletter and learn about upcoming guests and useful artist resources. Again, that's whyillnevermakeit.com. Well, hello, Gina. Thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. It's so nice to meet you and to have you here.
1: Hi, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and meet you as well.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to our conversation because... I certainly love to talk to performers and especially singers, since I am one myself, but I like to talk to those that also have their toe in the, the coaching and the, the practice and training side of it as well, because I think that's something that we all strive to be better at and something that we really need to focus on. So I'm really looking forward to the insights that you'll bring, especially in those areas as well.
1: Thank you.
0: Well, you had provided me three different Why I'll Never Make It stories that we're going to be covering today. And so the first one goes back to your time in high school, and you had some vocal health challenges that kind of forced you to make some tough choices. Explain what was going on at that time.
1: Yes. So I was a cheerleader in middle school, and it came time for high school cheerleading and I got through freshman year. And I remember my voice teacher said something about cheerleading not being so great for the voice. I do think there are people who can do it well, but I was not one of those people. And it came time for sophomore year and I made the JV team and I was so excited. And it was the morning of our first practice. And I woke up with a golf ball sized cyst on my thyroid.
0: So overnight this had grown overnight. Oh my gosh.
1: And I wanted to go to practice. (laughs) Um, you know, I was one of those overachievers. Like I have practice. I have to go. And my mother was like, you are not going to practice. You are going to the doctor right away. And I was really, really fortunate. It was, uh, benign, and it actually ended up going away on its own. But that was a real wake-up call. And my voice teacher said, wait, you're still cheering? I thought you quit that a long time ago when we <laughs> talked about that before. And I said, well, no, I-, I cheer. And he said, you need to quit. You need to decide, do you want to go to music school or do you want to be a cheerleader? And over that year, I was hoarse. I was not singing particularly well. It was difficult for me to phonate. I was lucky that I was pre-nodular. I didn't have um, true nodes on my vocal fold, so I caught it just in time. But
0: but still, a cyst. I mean, that that's a pretty <laughs> that's a big red flag right there.
1: Right. Um, so I had a cyst on my thyroid, and then I was pre-nodular on my vocal folds, and. Also, I didn't realize, but I had undiagnosed acid reflux. I had allergies. I just had pretty much everything that is bad for a singer to have. I had right from the get-go in high school. And so I did quit the cheerleading team. It was one of, still to this day, one of the hardest decisions I've ever made because that brought me so much joy and so much uh, so much to my social life. Um, But it was definitely the right decision. And so I learned how to take care of my voice right away, right from the get-go. I had to go to speech therapy. I had to learn how to manage my allergies. I went on to college. I had to learn how to manage my acid reflux. And then, as if that weren't enough, in college, I developed cyclical vomiting syndrome.
0: I have not heard of this. Wow.
1: So... This is, I guess, TMI. It's pretty gross, but um, it is where you throw up severely. Like, Like it's not just like you throw up and you're done. You're throwing, I was throwing up for hours and hours and hours on end. And for me, it happened every three months, like clockwork. So cyclical means it happens regularly. And it's something that's unexplained by anything else. I think stress caused it, but you can imagine what all of that acid did to my throat.
0: And then there's just the vocal mechanism and the muscles in there just seizing basically every time you're vomiting. So yeah, it's never good for a singer to go through that.
1: Yes. So, you know, I still had to perform. I was in college. I was in grad school. I had a lot going on that required my voice and it required me to learn how to manage my health.
0: So what was it that you learned, especially in high school, when you had to make that choice between singing and cheerleading, what was it that led you to decide one over the other?
1: Well, cheerleading was really fun, but I knew that singing was my life purpose and my life path. I knew that I wanted to have a career in the arts. I knew that I was in it for the long haul and I was willing to make that sacrifice
0: yeah, because obviously cheerleading, while there are you know, you can go into professional sports and and continue on with that, yeah, singing is definitely more of a passion and an art that if your heart is in that, then yeah yeah, it's hard it's hard to give that up. So once you made that choice, then what did you work on specifically to get your voice back into a, a better shape than it was when you were cheering?
1: Well, like I said, I went to speech therapy. I was working with a speech therapist, so it wasn't even on the singing side, but it was just learning how to bring my vocal folds together more gently learning because, you know, with cheering, you're kind of slamming them together all the time, at least if you were cheering incorrectly as I was, you know. Singing in a healthy way is really important. But I think what I really learned through all of this is that it's really your lifestyle. It's learning how to live a lifestyle that is conducive to healthy singing.
0: Yeah, because one thing that we've all gone through as far as uh, you know, learning how to speak better, sing better, especially when we have a break, you know, say we have to get a survival job and we have months without any work, then we sometimes aren't singing for a while what did you learn about those gaps and breaks of also maintaining and keeping your voice up to snuff?
1: Yes. Well, you know, I used to be afraid of the gaps and the breaks. I was somebody who would practice every day and I would get very anxious if I wasn't singing. And now I've learned that rest is essential. It's so important. And it's true that, you know, you're training muscles in your body. And if you let the muscles atrophy, you might have to retrain them, right? You don't want to go too long, but if you just go and go and go and go, um, that can create problems as well. And I was definitely overusing my voice. So I learned that by taking breaks, by resting, by going on vocal rest, I had to go on full vocal rest several times during all of this. Um, it, It only made me better and stronger as a singer.
0: And I assume you went through because I've done speech therapy as well. And did you find that your voice was getting stronger? Did you find that it was making those steady improvements? Or did you have some kind of two steps forward, three steps back kind of thing?
1: In some ways, through the speech therapy, it was steady improvement. But because I had all of these different vocal issues going on—the reflux and the allergies and all that—it was definitely, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Learning how to manage all of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I bet. And with the pandemic, it's really put a lot of artists on an extended break. You know, some have gone back; others of us, like myself, were still waiting to go back to the stage. What is it that you've learned, especially over such an extended period of a break, what can we do to keep maintaining our voice through all that?
1: That's such a great question. And I have two answers that go in two different directions. The first is your physical voice, you know, your voice as a singer, as an actor, what are you doing to stay in vocal shape? And that, uh, to me, it's, you know, Every day I do something. Maybe I'm just doing lip trills in the shower. Maybe I'm taking a walk and just, you know, making some nonsense scales or hums or something or singing along to a song, right? Um, but it's just checking in with your voice every day to see where it's at. And, you know, some days it just rest, but other days it's like, this is feeling a little off. Let me, you know, let me get it back in shape. Let me just see what I need to do to get everything aligned again. And that way you never go too far from center. Um, I think it's when when you overdo it in either direction and either the, you know, you, you don't sing at all for, you know, two years, which I, some people needed to do that. And please know your mental health is more important than your singing. You can work your voice back up. Um, but, you know, if you're not singing at all, or if you're singing hours and hours and hours every day and tying yourself out, it's really about being in the middle and just becoming aware about your voice and what your voice needs. My other answer to that question about caring for your voice is I learned this when I was going through all my health issues, but I relearned it during the pandemic. Your voice is more than your singing voice. And I think it's so important for artists to know that and to internalize that it's really easy to associate our identities with our performing and it's just not true your voice is your creative expression it is um, manifesting your inner voice on the outside um, you can express your voice in written form it through podcasting through uh, the clothes that you wear there's so many ways to share your voice and singing is only one of those ways
0: And that was certainly something that you found. You started your own podcast, uh, discovering your voice through that medium, the practice parlor. And was it basically taking a lot of the lessons that you've learned through your own speech therapy, through your own lessons and classes, as well as your students, kind of putting all that together into uh, one podcast to share with others?
1: Yes. I... I'm very much a technical teacher, but I'm also a very holistic teacher in that I believe that your life affects your art and your art affects your life and it's all related. And so I was finding there are so many different practices in our life that affects how we show up on the stage. And it could be something like um, the practice of play or a faith practice or anti-racism practices or the practice of letting go. You you can go on and on and on with all these different practices in our lives that impact our art. And so that's what I wanted to explore. And it was a time when um, I felt we needed more coming together and more conversation. And so the podcast came out of that.
0: And practice, I know for me, is one of those things that I tend to I'm given sides or I'm now cast in something, so I'm practicing, you know, the material that's given to me. That tends to be when I'm practicing, when I go to voice lessons, then I'm bringing in the music that I need to learn for that particular thing. But this is something that I struggle with. Practice also needs to happen when you don't have a show, when you don't have something coming up, when you aren't compelled to do it, but it's something that both from your physical standpoint, your emotional standpoint, artistic standpoint, you still need to be practicing even when there's no goal in mind, per se.
1: Yes, absolutely. For me, practice is about growth and it's about going deeper. So... Um, I like to use the example of a yoga practice. I do a little bit of yoga, but I certainly would not call myself a yogi. But I think that this practice is something that people can visualize and relate to. And if you go to yoga class every day, your body's going to be different every day, your emotional and mental state is going to be different. And you show up on the mat and you go through all of the poses and you do the best you can you check in with yourself with where you are that day and you aspire to grow to find greater strength greater flexibility to do whatever you can that day and over time you see progress but it's about the daily practice of meeting yourself where you are and I think that's so true for artists, for their artistic practice, but also for all of the other practices we have in our lives that feed our artistic practice.
0: So how do we balance the, the, you know, the rigors and precision of training with that freedom of creativity?
1: That's a great question. So I think it's important to know what your intention is at any given moment. So if you are practicing, what is your practice goal? what is your intention with that particular practice session if you are in a rehearsal what is the purpose of that rehearsal if you are on stage performing what is your intention for that performance and they're not the same so to treat a performance as if it were a rehearsal or practice right that that's doing a disservice to the performance um Yes, it's true. Sometimes you have to, you know, practice the performance so you can practice getting that energy in your body. But, uh, I think that in order to find the balance, you have to have specific goals and intentions and a variety of goals and intentions. So when we get hung up on one thing that we don't allow ourselves to explore the full spectrum of our humanity.
0: Uh, uh I I know that I do that especially in rehearsals I you know I'll I'll read through it before I get there and I have an idea and so when we hit rehearsal it's like I just pound that idea it's like that's what I'm doing that's what I'm doing and then the director says something I'm like I wait, wait what you know I it's it's almost like I can't make that turn because I've been so focused on well this is what I'm doing so yeah there needs to be that that air In order for the character to breathe to go in a different direction than what we may have thought it would go in.
1: Yeah. And, you know, all of your preparation is so that you can play.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly. You
1: know, you got to do the work, but then once it's time to play, you got to let that go and just react and respond and be present in the moment.
0: Mm -hmm. Because I did some improv classes, and I think that's one of the biggest things they helped with when it came to auditioning was the fact of, Okay, I've now presented this, now the director is going to say something, maybe we'll talk about, you know, what did you do today? Or are you going away for the holidays? Or, hey, I need you to do this in, differently in the character. And I need to be ready with those kind of questions like, oh, yeah, well, I was doing this or digging into the work a little deeper. And, and so it allowed me, I, I think that freedom and kind of openness that you're talking about of being able to play in the room and not feeling so stuck in one path.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think dealing with uncertainty uncertainty is something that is really hard for me, and I think hard for other people as well. And you know, this goes back to what can you control and what can't you control. And we prepare so well and so much, and then you know we want to do it just the way we prepared it. But the point is not to do it the way you prepared it. The point <laughs> is to allow the the spark of the moment to affect you and affect your performance and affect others.
0: Now, we've been talking about voice, and you had mentioned not just our singing voice, our speaking voice, but just the voice that we have as individuals. And for our second story, you went to grad school and you you studied journalism there, and it taught you how to ask questions, hold a space. Yet, you say that you lost your voice at that particular time. So what was happening at that point?
1: Yes, so... I went to Northwestern for undergraduate vocal performance and musical theater and graduate journalism. There was a short-lived music and journalism program that when I applied to the school, I applied for this joint music and journalism program. So as a college freshman, I knew that I was going to be spending my fifth year exclusively in the journalism school. And over my undergraduate years, I deeply, deeply felt that I wanted to pursue a career in the arts. And even though I was interested in journalism, I no longer really wanted to devote that fifth year exclusively to journalism. But I was already in the program. It's an incredible school, an incredible program. And so uh, my family convinced me to stay, finish the degree. And so while I was there, I was Creating, but in a very different way. I was telling other people's stories, just as an actor does. But it was a journalism school, so we were telling the news. And I know that the news in today's day and age, we can go on and on about about that. <laughs> but our goal was to get the truth of the story, and we had to leave our own opinions out of it. So I learned how to interview. I mean, that served me so well for the podcast. I learned how to ask questions, which serves me so well as an actor, but I didn't learn how to express my own point of view. And I think that is really what makes, you know, if we were performing the same role, that is what would make your performance different than my performance. And it's so important for an artist to have opinions, to have ideas, and to be able to express them confidently. And so I was literally training myself to withhold those opinions and those ideas
0: yeah which can be tough for us emotional creatures that you know as actors and singers we love to emote and, and as you say we love to dig into those characters and the scene work so yeah it can be tough i i was also a, a journalism major myself broadcasting was my was my specialty and fortunately my school i was able to do some freer stuff where i got to be a little bit more myself and and do a bit more commentary you know in a in that kind of bent still with the journalistic angle of of telling stories and that kind of thing. But yeah, when it comes to the straight news, it can be tough. I I think that's something, especially over the last few years, that reading the news, that just hearing stories, whether it's about our own profession, Broadway, or just in the, the regular news of society and culture, it can be hard even to read it without your own opinions getting involved. So, Would you say that it was still a good skill for you to learn this objective way of of approaching a story and taking yourself out of it?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I'm so, so grateful for Medill. That's the name of the school. I'm so grateful for Medill. And I think that, you know, had I pursued other aspects of journalism, there would have been room for it. It was just that the work that I personally was doing at the time was very much about taking myself out of it and learning how to take myself out of it. And you know, that is so important because when you're reading a script, you have to be able to know what is in the script and what is not in the script. Right. I mean that it's very important to be able to discern that. Um, But I find a lot of artists struggling with what I struggled with, which is self-awareness and being able to articulate What matters to you and the way you see the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was in the Avida National Tour. In between rehearsals, you know, dance or, or whatever, they had all these books out in the the hallway. Different books about Eva Perón, and some were very objective and just like chronological. This is, and then others were very subjective about she was horrible, she was this this beast of it, or she was this wonderful savior for the country of Argentina, and everything in between. So it really was an exercise, and this is a very complicated woman that we're presenting, and even on stage. I think Avida itself tries to portray that tug of war that not only Avida had with herself but then how people were perceiving her. So I think that can be extrapolated into any show that we're doing as you say, especially new works. What is there and what isn't there.
1: And I think for artists too, I speak with my students a lot about this, but you know, there's this drive for technical perfection and Oftentimes, the connection is lost. So I think, you know, it's important to tell the story as clearly as possible, um, but it's also important to say it purposefully.
0: Yeah, because there are definitely those times when you're on stage and you're like in it and, and maybe you need to emote, maybe you need to cry, maybe there's a laugh. And, and there are some times where you are just, you're just... Soulful about it. It's just embodying every inch of you. And then there are those nights where you're just not feeling it. You're going through the motions, you're saying the same lines, but it just isn't there. So, yeah, th- there is that constant connection and reconnection with the material that we have to present.
1: Absolutely. And I think this goes back to the journalism too, which is, you know, there's a fine line emotionally, right? Like, how much of ourselves do we put into it and where do we draw boundaries? And that's definitely something that I learned as well with journalism. You know, you can get very close to the people that you're interviewing and you can, um, you know, it's very easy to take on whatever emotionally is going on there. And um, that's a boundary that you need to put in place uh, for, for your own health.
0: And have you use that journalism degree? I I know for myself, my broadcasting comes into play every now and then whenever I'm uh, on a TV set or I've done commercials. So I understand what's going on on the other side of the camera. So that that has helped me. Has your journalism helped you as an artist as well?
1: It's definitely helped me um, in terms of my podcasting, in terms of my script analysis, in terms of learning how to be a better listener on stage and in life. Um, So I would say more in that way than necessarily doing the activity of journalism.
0: (laughs) Right. It's taking those lessons of the act of journalism, but then uh, repurposing them into more of an artistic and creative endeavor. Yes. In addition to the stories shared here in these conversations, there are also bonus episodes where guests like Gina also share memorable audition stories. Gina talks about a singing audition she had for a production of the musical It Should Have Been You and how she handled a director's misconception of body image. Bonus episodes like these are only available to supporters of Why I'll Never Make It. And so a big thank you goes to Ethan Steimel for recently becoming a Win Me producer. He is also a fellow podcaster, and you'll be hearing more about him in the coming months, so stay tuned for those episodes. In the meantime, if you'd like to help win me as well, then please consider either a one-time donation or an ongoing subscription by going to whyillnevermakeit.com or click on the link in the show notes. One of your biggest steps, and I think one of the biggest steps that uh, a lot of artists take, is that eventual move to New York. And for you, that came with all the excitement and everything. For our third story, though, you talk about not being cast in a lot of things and coming up against that wall, which a lot of us actors face, and how you had to learn how to then create and find purpose outside of those auditions and even your own creativity. Tell us more about that.
1: Well, I think it's so easy when you come out of a music or a theater school to be in the mindset of, I need to be cast, I need to be cast, I need to be cast. And you go to all the auditions and you try to meet the people. And then, you know, you get to New York and it's a much bigger pool and there's a lot of rejection. And, you know, some people do get cast right away, but many people do not. And I was not getting cast. But I was getting some concert gigs here and there. I was getting enough to keep me going. But I knew that, you know, this isn't why I came to New York. I, I, there was more. I knew there was more.
0: So as these auditions were kind of passing you by, were you reconsidering your move? Like, what were you thinking? Was it just like, nope, I just got to keep going and keep going? Or did it give you some pause?
1: Well, it didn't give me pause in that I was thinking I wasn't in the right place, but it did give me pause in that I needed to regroup and make some changes. I knew that whatever I was doing was not working. So I was fortunate enough to work with a life coach, Diana Psari, who recently passed away. She was an incredible life coach, and she was very transformative in my life. Um, I also started working with Jen Waldman at Jen Waldman Studio, who she's amazing, and she had just learned about Simon Sinek's Start With Why, so she introduced Start With Why to me, and I also happened to work with Jessica Meyer of Inherent Style, who I thought I was hiring to be a headshot stylist. Um, she's a great stylist, But what I was really hiring her for and what I think her magic is, is helping you to know yourself better. And so all of those three things happened around the same time, and they really gave me a greater sense of self-awareness and of purpose. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not getting cast, but I'm here to perform. I know how to perform. I know how to put on a show. What can I do? So I started putting on my own shows, my own cabarets, and I started self-producing for myself, uh, self-producing for other people, cabarets and benefit concerts, and using my skills uh, where I could. And the freedom that that has given me, my dirty secret is that I still haven't been in a professional musical.
0: Does that eat away at you at all?
1: It eats away at me a lot less Okay. I still would love to be in a musical. There are dream roles on my list that I would love to play one day, Um, but I don't need them to happen. I find happiness and fulfillment creatively in so many other ways that I don't Feel completely crushed with every audition. I don't, I actually don't even spend that much time auditioning. I think that's, that's one of the reasons (laughs) I think I would have better odds of getting cast if I put more energy into it. Um, but I, there's just so many other things that I love to do and all these opportunities have come my way that I never would have imagined. And yet they've been some of the highlights of my life and my career. So just, I think it's so important for people to not wait for permission to share their gifts. And to share their voice
0: what do you think was that transition of not being so dependent upon that for your own happiness for your own joy of performing
1: well i think it really does come down to self-awareness and i think that service and purpose are very much tied to identity Um, in some ways they're you know the opposite end of the spectrum but i really think it's a circle and they come right back so Whatever your strengths are, your passions, your loves, your gifts, it is a disservice to withhold those from the world. That is what you have to give. And so it's your responsibility to share that. But you can only share it if you know what it is.
0: Right, which can be so hard. I do consider myself an artistic, a creative person, but it's its almost like I've spent so much time... Being this person for for this scene or for that show or embodying that particular song, that then when it comes to okay, well, who are you? What do you want to do? Uh, uh, well, I like to sing. I like to perform. I, you know, so much of my own identity is wrapped up in me being other people.
1: I love to start my voice lessons, the lessons that I teach, with a question, a question of the day, if you will, and. Um, it could be anything. So, you know, let's just say, you know, we're recording this in November. So I might say, what is your favorite thing about the fall? Or what is your favorite thing about Thanksgiving? Right? Just something to cultivate self-awareness, positive mindset, gratitude. And whatever the answer is, we can take that and we can apply that to our technical work and to our artistic work. And so that allows the students' work to really be of them and from them. It's different than anybody else's work. And it becomes about more than just singing the note perfectly. It's about, you know, I love Thanksgiving because my family comes together and I love that connection and that camaraderie. Okay. So when you sing this, how can you sing this with the intention of connecting with your audience more?
0: Yeah. Yeah whenever you ask that question i immediately thought of the beautiful trees the changing leaves the colors of you know whenever you're walking outside and then secondly was all the great food you get at thanksgiving so yeah so those those are the two things that i thought of but yeah I think that's so important that we connect even in those subtle ways, like this is a journey that I'm on, which is why I'm talking about it. Once you find out what it is, even in the smallest things, what you like, then do more of that. Find out a way to expand it. Find out a way to, well, if you like this, then maybe if you take a step this way, maybe you'll like that. And then you start to broaden your experiences. You start to broaden the things that you do like and find new things to like
1: yes yes i love that it's really about following your curiosity following your love and that allows you to give more of the best of yourself which is i think what we're trying to do as artists right we're trying to give the best of ourselves so that we can illuminate our universal experiences and what connects all of us together
0: Yeah, I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about video games and stuff and how people will love to do games, but then in their own life, they may not find as much joy, but they'll do things in games. And and I think that artists can do the same thing. We get so much joy out of digging into these characters and finding the ins and outs of who they are and what they do and then performing that to perfection on stage or as close as we can get. Yet in our own lives, we often don't do that same digging and we can leave ourselves a little open and ambiguous when we are really (laughs) so much more important than the show that we're doing.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, it can be easy, so easy to go to why didn't they pick me and to get down on yourself for it. But the more that you know what you have to offer, the easier it is to brush that off and to say, well, we weren't a fit. This opportunity was not for me but something else will be. And to follow that rabbit trail instead of getting hung up on the one that was not aligned.
0: Yeah, because I, I've been in those shows where the role was right for me, but the experience of of working on it wasn't right. And so had I not gotten that, it might've been better that I didn't do that show. And I think there's a lot of shows in our life of auditioning that we can take at least some solace in. That wasn't, as you said, that wasn't the right fit for me. Because I'm not doing that, now I'm open to doing something else. And it's it really is kind of a re-examining and kind of a shift in our own thought into how we perceive this making it or not making it in auditions.
1: And, you know, I listened to something recently. Uh, Chris Jackson was on Jen Hatmaker's podcast, For the Love, and she asked him about making it. And I'm going to paraphrase, but he said something along the lines of, you know, I will never have made it because I will always still be making.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just thought that was so brilliant because as artists, we are creatives, but we are creators. And as long as we are creating, we are doing what we're here to do. We're expressing our artistry and our creativity. Um, and I think it's when we feel like we can't create, when we feel those brick walls and those roadblocks and those no's that are preventing us from creating, that's when it's very uh, soul-sucking and it's very disheartening. So if we can find a way to always be creating, then um, we will be happier and we will serve to our f- more full capacity.
0: And when it comes to that service, I know that that's something that has been very important to you as far as charity work, advocacy, that kind of thing. What have you learned from the different organizations and uh, service that you have found? How has that helped you as both a person and as an artist?
1: Oh, so much. Uh, Where to begin? Uh, I think the first thing in terms of artistry is that now it's very important to me that I have purpose behind everything I do. You know, it's easy to say, it's like you have didn't <laughs> do things with purpose before, what? Um, but no, I think there was a time in my life where it really was about me trying to impress, me trying to get validation, um, to get applause and affirmation. Um, but now it's like, if I'm choosing to sing this song, even if it's just in an audition, why this song why do i need Mm -hmm. to sing this song and what do i hope to convey to the audience to the auditors that is meaningful besides just like oh she's a good singer um so i think that's the number one thing but then in life right there's there are so many causes and so many people that need our help right there's an infinite number um and we can't tackle all of them. No one person can. But I think learning, you know, which few things do you really have an ability to help and then offering your gifts. So singing for benefits is really important to me. Um, using my voice that way. Um, I know, you know, there's some people say like, I will never sing for free. Well, it's, it's very important to me <laughs> that um, I am continuously and regularly giving my voice um to organizations that matter to me um it's really important to me we talked about the listening with the journalism um I think more the past year or two than ever before have I learned to listen and to keep listening (laughs) um and to take those learnings and to actually do something about it uh which is easier said than done but again it goes back to like what causes or what organizations where do you want to invest your resources of time money energy
0: i think that's the that subtle difference between having a goal and having a purpose because a goal means that there's an end yes you, you want to reach that goal of broadway or you want to reach the goal of accomplishing something and then it's done but having a purpose is something that continues on past the goal past that last show past this audition It keeps going and is something that can guide you more so than a goal can. And that's something that I really had to learn coming to New York because my goal was Broadway. I have yet to achieve that goal. So it's still dangling there. So what am I going to do on my road to that goal? It's still there. Or do I need to adjust that? And I think that once I found a purpose, once that became my focus rather than the goal itself, then... Yes, Broadway's still there, but now I have other things that, as you were mentioning, you have other things that can fill your heart, other things that you can create artistically and find those fulfillments that that one goal won't give you.
1: And I think another learning is I learned to differentiate between what I could control and what I could not control. And I'm, I'm still learning it, right? <laughs> um, <we all? laughs> I still struggle with that. But... Um, there's so much out of our control as performers. And when we get hung up on the things that we cannot control, you know we're helpless. There's nothing we can do about it because we can't control it. So instead, if we can create goals, I like to say um, there, are, there are dreams that we have, and then there are goals. And the goals are the things that we actually can make happen on our own. And, you know, yes, we might need to bring in, you know, support a team to help us out, but those are things that, that we can make happen. Um, so, you know, for your goals, for your service, like what can you do? Because, you know, you personally cannot solve all of world hunger, but you can sing for a benefit that is raising money for, I don't know, Thanksgiving meals to people, right? Like, um, you can do something like that. So again, self-awareness, once you know what is important to you, how can you use your gifts as a resource to
0: help? Well, thank you so much for sharing your gifts on the podcast today. It's really been a joy to talk to you and and dig into these issues. I I think you've certainly brought up a lot of things for me and and I'm sure for you listening that uh, there's certainly a lot of nuggets in there to take away. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a joy chatting with you.
0: Thank you so much for joining Gina and myself today. And remember, the conversation continues with the final five questions on the Win Me blog. You'll find a link to that blog in the show notes or by going to It.com. All right, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Background music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions, publicity provided by Imagine PR Group. Why I'll Never Make It is a Win Me Media production and a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. CFOs and controllers, there's a better way to manage cards, expenses, travel, and reimbursements. You need a unified spend platform from Brex that lets you control all your spend in one place, automate compliance, and close the books faster. Get started at brex.com.